0: Built this city on rock and roll. Built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Oh, <laughs> but my girl wants to party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. Get <laughs> in. <laughs>
1: My name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, presented by Head Speaks. This is an hour-ish long podcast, where we'll talk about the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll talk about every appearance of these two great characters. If you've never read them, or haven't read them in a while, this may be a good time to explore these issues. Now, let's get started with our first comic. Yes, I'm back. I know it's been delayed a little bit. It's been a couple months since uh, my last episode. I apologize again profusely. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, enough of that. Let's get off the show. Uh, this month, we're on January of 1989, the second part. Uh, some of these books were out then in December, beginning of January, end of January. So I split these into two parts. Uh, first up, we're going to look at Manhunter number 11, followed by Starman number eight. So let's go ahead and get started off the show, no further delay. Uh, Again, this is Manhunter number 11. Cover date was March of 1989. But again, to buy this, you had to go back to uh, January the 17th of 1989. Cover price was $1. This was edited by Barbara J. Kiesel. Uh, This actually had two 11-page stories in it, instead of one regular story. It had two different stories that were split up. The first story was written by our usual John Ossinger and Kim Yell, penciled by Doug Rice, inker Pablo Marcos, letterer Albert Tobias de Guzman, and colorist, as usual, the lovely Juliana Fritter. The cover was done by Doug Rice. The synopsis, the Manhunters agreed to help two businessmen retrieve an alien robot found in Australia following the invasion of Earth. However, several interested parties converge on the site where the robot is to be delivered. LexCorp has sent two agents, including equip, one equipped battle armor. This agent knocks Manhunter in his new battle armor from the sky. The Yakuza, Checkmate, and a Rocket Red, under the command of Zastro, all join the race to get the robot. Jeremy Heap, banned selling the robot, thinks he's been set up, so he activates his prize. The robot unexpectedly grabs him and pulls him inside before turning its attention weapons on those men trying to acquire it. And again, the synopsis and the writer and all that information came from of course, Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Definitely a good site, check it out. Uh, Now onto my thoughts on this issue. As usual, we're going to start off with the cover. The cover of this one shows Manhunter in the battle armor flying in the sky. Above him is some object, we're not quite sure what. Off to one side, we see the Lex Corgoon and the Lex Cor battle armor. Down below him, we see a Rocket Red. Uh, it's not a bad cover. Um, I'm going to say I'm not a huge fan of it, even though I said it's not bad. I, mean, we, I like the Lex Luthor battle armor. It's a throwback to the old pre-Crisis armor. As I said last issue, I'm not a huge fan of the, the Manhunter in this armor. And then you, you got to love the Rocket Reds. It's a great costume. But then there's this... Not quite sure what this thing is above him. It's a little, I don't know. I want to say a little hinky. I'm not quite sure. Is that the robot? Is that the robot's hand reaching out for Mark? We're not quite sure what that is. looks like maybe maybe the robot's hand, maybe. We can find out further inside possibly what it looks like. But looks like maybe pinchers. We're not sure if it's a ship. Is it the robot? Uh, the cover as to what he's fighting is a little ambiguous. And that's my main problem with it. you got this big blob metallic thing on the front, whatever it is, on the front. It's bigger than anyone else on the cover, and we're not quite sure what it is. I don't know, maybe they should have done a further out view, so we got a better view of Tacky Mark, or... I, I don't know. I, again, not. it's not a bad cover. I like the uh, Rocket Red and the looser armor on there, but... This big thing that's attacking Manhunter, I'm not quite sure about that. And then move on to the story itself. And we start off with Manhunter, as I talked about. He's flying into the meeting. Not a bad first page here. But here on the second page, we get the Lex Corgoons in a plane. And one of them, I believe it was the, the lady pilot, noticed there's a huge cloud of dust being kicked up. And the other guy that's in the Luther battle armor says that it's some guy zooming along in red and blue armored suit. And the pilot, I guess her name's Margo identifies him as Mark Shaw. And as they're talking, he, and so he's like, I'll read this little line. He's like battle screen, battle shoot screens. show some guy zooming along in red and blue armored suit, Margo. And she said, you know, he said, hunter, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, and by the way, it's Ms. Wister to you. This is less court business. Remember who's in charge here and who gives the order? And dude in the bag is like, yes, Ms. Wister. Just anxious to flush my muscle, Miss Wister. So I, I like the little cocky attitude he has there. It's, they don't have apparently don't have a good working relationship. She's very business-like. And I think he wants to be a little more than business partner, because that's another story entirely. And then the next page, page three, we get Zastro in communication with the Rocket Red. Rocket Red is the Russian government's uh, superhero group. One of them. I, I believe Killowak from the Green Lanterns helped design this the uh, Rocket Red suits. And Zastro, well, this book is written by uh, John Oshinger. John Oshinger loves his politics, loves the Russians. Well, that may have came out wrong, but he loves using the Russians in a story. Zastro, uh, first place I ever remember seeing him was over in Firestorm that John Austin was writing at this time. So, John likes linking all those books together somehow. And again, the Zastro showing up throughout the different books kind of links together John's books. And I like that sort of continuity there. Yes, it's by the same writer, so yes, it's going to be a little more continuity, which, again, I, as I've talked about before, I'm sure I'm a big continuity fan. So, it is what it is. And then down at the bottom of page three, and I, I love this book. Its pages are numbered. Some comics you don't get that, so it makes it hard to tell where you're at. But here, bottom page three, get got Checkmate Knight, as I've talked about over on my Task Force X podcast. I, I love the design of these uh, knight costumes. It's a dark blue or black with yellow highlights and accentuations. The gloves are yellow. The face mask is yellow. And what it is, the Checkmate Caution, after I talked about this last month, it's been a couple months, uh, they're designed so that anyone could be in that costume. Uh, the only difference you really tell, usually, is whether it's a male or a female, just because of the way the body's shaped. But other than that, they're not supposed to talk very much in the field to help maintain the ambiguity. In fact, over in one of the last episodes, in fact, maybe the last episode I did uh, Task Force X. There was a guy that was hunting for the night and he thought it was just one guy. He didn't realize he was fighting a whole team of them. So he showed up at their headquarters. That's for Task Force X. That's not for here. Anyways, moving on. Again, I love these night, these costumes. And again, from their conversation, we, we get a little bit about the organization, I think. Again, I read the Checkmate book, so I'm familiar with it, but... He reports in headquarters. Uh, he's a knight. He's calling Rook Control. Which is basically the, the operations. Uh, so again, I, I enjoy the way this is written. Again, John Osinger wasn't writing checkmates. Uh, Paul Kupperberg was still writing it at this point. So but I like that John was able to fit the other uh, spy agencies, if you will, into the story. It was just it was some great writing. Of course it's John Osinger. What do you expect? <laughs> And the story continues. As I talked about in the uh, synopsis here on page five. We finally get the robots that we saw at the end of last issue, and the the robot suit here is very, to me, anyways, is very Magna. Hope I pronounced that right. Japanese animation inspired. It's just a big suit. There's a, a large fins on its arms. It looks like two big purple. Half shells or something up on the shoulder blades. I'm not quite sure. Looks like a Transformer mixed with a Megazord or something. I don't know. I just... I, I'm i not a huge fan of... I want to mention uh, Megazords. I'm not a big fan of Power Rangers. I, I, I like some anime, but I'm not a huge fan. And this is what this armor reminds me of, both of those. So I, I don't... I It's... Uh, I don't know. Uh, Moving off the story though, because I just the art itself—it's good artwork. It's just again, I don't care for the layout of the battle armor. I don't care for Mark's battle armor. I'm not a battle armor guy, I guess. Though I do like Luther's. So I I don't know. Uh, But going off the story, I say it's it's a good story overall. It it is a little short. I said it's only uh, 11 pages this episode. I do like here on page uh, let me see where we're at, page 9 we get some fighting between Mark and the Yakuza no, that's not Mark, it's Checkmate Checkmate agent jumps in and he starts fighting the Yakuza and so at this point everyone's fighting everybody uh, Manhunter was flying in and Luther's goon crashed into him, causing him to bail out of the suit which I, I, I'm happy for since I didn't care for the suit anyways but I do like here on page, again, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. After uh, Mark gets out of his seat on page eight, or on page seven, on top of page eight, the Lexcor guy is like, big words for a man who had to bell out of his armor get crushed in it. Guess you want a painful death. Well, I'm happy to oblige you. And then again, we get Zastro over here doing what Zastro does best, standing off the side, relaying information to the Rocket Reds, but again, as I was saying here before I got sidetracked on page 8, we get Mark just basically commenting on the whole situation. You know, it's insane. Everybody and his uncle showed up wanting the robot. And again, he's sitting there saying he spent all day guessing who the guy in the yellow and black is. And then you got the high-tech barbarian who tackled him, which is the Lex Corgoon. So I like the fact that, again, Checkmate's a seek organization. So Mark Shaw, who is a bounty hunter... He's done work for the police. He's worked for Suicide Squad. Even he doesn't know who Checkmate is, doesn't know who the knights are. So again, I think that's a rather nice way to handle it. And again, it shows that, you know, Checkmate is, again, a secret organization. And then he, not wanting to trust any of these guys, he activates the battle suit. And again, as in want, as want in a lot of superhero stories, the villain gets it by his own demise. Gets his by those hands. However it works. But the robot activates and it grabs Heap and throws him into the armor and closes up with Heap in there and apparently needs a human body to to uh, either activate, not activate, but to to run. And again, so as the battle suit starts initiating and starts getting ready to attack, uh, we get, you know, next, this is another fine mecha you've gotten me into. So again, Mecca, I mean, they're, to to me, it's kind of, they're even referred to as Japanese. So anyways, that that was this story. Not a bad story. I don't know uh, about splitting it up into two parts. Like I did, well, it's a continuing story, but, well, let me finish these thoughts after I talk about the next part of the story. Uh, Which brings us to the second story, this issue. Again, it's another, another? Another 11 page story. This one is entitled Loose End, written by Kim Yell, without John Ostinger this time, penciled by Mary Mitchell, inkers Pablo Marcos, letter Albert Tobias de Guzman, colorist Juliana Freder. And the synopsis for this story, once again from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Sylvia Candre serves, serves her probation manning a desk at police headquarters. Lieutenant Best visits her and drops off a postcard from Mark Shaw, who's in Australia. Hmm. Afterwards, Best and Candry are both harassed by a homicide detective named Cochner. Best offers to end Candry's probation. She refuses the offer, choosing to earn her place back. After Best departs, Candry reads the postcard, then reads Mark Shaw's police file. And now for my thoughts on it. Again, this doesn't have a cover. I already talked about the cover, so we'll go to the story itself. The penciler on this is Mary Mitchell, who I'm not familiar with her work. I, I do like Kim Yell's writing normally. Uh, I say normally, it makes sound like I'm not going to like this story. This story's not bad. It's just a 11-page story. It gives us shows what Sylvia's going on with her after she got demoted. I am not a huge fan of the artwork in this. And again, I'm not much really talk about. We get basically it's a, a one set scene type thing where just uh, Lieutenant Best and Candry Sylvia sitting here talking about what's happened. And again, the artwork in here to me is rather amateurish. It's just, I'm not a huge fan of this artwork. It's, I mean, some people, I guess, would say it's stylized. I don't... I don't, want, I, just, I, don't want, I don't go for that, or I don't buy that. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I just, to me, art's either good or it's not. And if someone does stylized, in quotes, artwork, they can do good artwork, but they're doing some stylized artwork that looks like this. I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. It's much like I've talked about over a little bit on my G.I. Joe, uh, The Real American Head cast. Uh, there's this G.I. Joe versus Transformer comic that was out that had to me horrible artwork. I was a, I heard some other people talk about it and they said it's not bad, it's it's stylized. I don't I don't understand that. It's to me it's bad artwork, it's bad artwork. And that's what's going on here in my opinion. It's very juvenile, uh, very amateurish, that's the word I'm looking for. But I basically covered what happened in the story with the synopsis. Uh, Lieutenant Best comes over and talks with Kandry. They both get this this white, blonde hair, blue-eyed cop, kind of Miami Vice-looking guy, came over and, you know, makes comments, both basically petting out black people and women. In fact, here on page three of the story, so they're talking, and uh, where's he at? He's like... He's saying that uh, Sylvia helped him on a case, calls her red. Her hair's not quite really red here, but we'll go with it. And he says, and he's like, meeting you, Lieutenant, reminds me of an old joke. What's black and white and red all over? Got a new punchline, a sunburned zebra couple out of Waukiki Beach. So, yeah, this guy's a real piece of work, which shows, you know, you have your police and bad police. This guy's one of the bad guys, if you will. And I do like here on again to show uh Kim Yell's wonderful writing on this. After he leaves, Bess is sitting there talking to Sylvie and he's like, That man got a hood and a white sheet in his locker? And she's like, Oh probably. Besides it could have been worse. You could have been a woman on top of being black. And Lieutenant Bess at this way he's like, you know, no one has, should be able to take that kind of craft from anybody. He's like, I'm going to get you out of this hole. Your probation's almost up. I'll talk to the comm- commander and see what I can do. And Sylvia so stands, she's like, you'll do no such thing, lieutenant. Don't you dare interfere with my probation. You told me to do this the hard way. And basically tells him her probation ends in 10 days. She's on her own so far, and she doesn't want someone coming in and, and rescuing her, in quotes. She's going to do her own thing, her last shift there. And she tells him, you know, you're not even going to do this to, to uh, Saj. Your guilty conscience. And he's like, You're out of line if that comments. And basically, you know, she calls him out for having to, you know, the only way he said he was coming down there just to hand her the mail when I should check on her. And again, so basically it's just a little character piece. And I think I would have liked this story better had the artwork been better in it. But here on the page, oh, they stopped numbering it here six seven page eight it looks like Kendra's reading the postcard and again he's talking about how he's in Australia and again we know that from the main story and then she pulls up his file and as she gets up in the here I like to see her at the end she looks at his file a little bit and her replacement comes in and as she gets up to leave the gal that came in to replace her, you know, hands her mail, the postcard from Mark, and so she throws in the trash. And as she walks, in, she's like nine minus or T minus nine days and counting. Again, so as I was saying at the end of the first story, I don't know why they chose to do a 11-page story instead of wrapping up the whole thing in this issue. I don't know if uh, John had something else going on. And so he wasn't going to be able to make the entire, the entire uh, story in time or what happened. Or if there was going to be a gap. So instead of having a gap with a fill-in issue, they decided to split it. In, I'm not sure. We'll find out next month when we cover issue 12 and see if it's a full-size story or if it's, again, just another half issue. And maybe that's why. Maybe it was this finale. Finale? Finale was like an issue and a half worth, so instead of making it a almost double sized issue, they cut off the first part of the story. Pitted in here with a backup story. Uh, I don't know. I, I do. I did like seeing Sylvia again. I mean, I enjoyed that character. She showed up. It was issue five. Mark made her life hack, and now she's she's doing her penance if you will over here. But so I do, and I think I would have liked this whole thing a little better if the art had been better. Again, I'm not familiar with the artist and I'm not taking time out of my day to go look and see what else this artist has done. But yeah, I'm not a fan of this artwork. Again, the story was good, but yeah, the, fa- the art, eh. but I guess that's enough ragging on that story. Let's go and take a break. Uh, we're right about 20 minutes or so right now. About right, so we'll go ahead and take a break here. I'm going to play some promos for some shows. And when I come back, we will take a look at Starman. Hold tight, kids.
0: And now these messages.
1: Hey there, everyone. There's your old buddy, Head. You know, Aaron Moss over at the Head Speaks podcast. I'm still here, and so is my podcast. Starting in November, and for however many months it takes, we're going to put the atom aside for a little while. And we're going to look at DC Comics' Armageddon 2001 crossover. Join me and some of my other podcasting and internet friends as we take a look at, well, Armageddon 2001. A hero today becomes a villain tomorrow. Join us and find out who. On the Headcast Network, Armageddon 2001, along with a lot of my usual segments. Come check us out. Available at head.headspeaks.com on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your podcasts at. Come check us out.
0: Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfish Stauffer. Come in. T- come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Oh, I just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, 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 can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. A DC event, as in the comic books, DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Oh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh, okay. okay, well... I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? What? DC OCD You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events I think you should talk it out get it out of your system via a podcast I will help you my friend we shall do a podcast together about your DC OCD Oh, okay I won't even charge you for it (laughs) Awesome (laughs) I don't think I can claim you on (laughs) benefits (laughs) Yeah, it's good when should we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool.
1: And now we move over to Starman number eight. This one had a cover date of March of 1989. The on-sale date was January the 31st of 1989. Cover price was $1. Editor was Robert Greenberger. The title of this story was The Queen and the Commoners. Written by Roger Stern as normal. Penciler, Tom Lyle. Inker, Robert R. Smith. Letterer, Robert M. Pinana. Colorist, Michelle, Michael Wolfman. There's only one else. I think it's Michael. Uh, Wolfman and comments on this story. Again, this stuff all comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Uh, This story reintroduces Lady Quark and Priya into the post-crisis universe. Lady Quark's history is staltered altered such that in post-crisis continuity she was the ruler of an alien world destroyed by a Constantine wave rather than a parallel world destroyed by an antimatter wave. Um, Again, pre-crisis lady court came from an alternate earth that was destroyed i forget the lettering they gave it but it was destroyed by the crisis by the anti-monitor since the crisis happened there was only one earth so instead of being from a parallel world as i just read she was from janealian world whose world was destroyed Uh, and the synopsis once again from mike's amazing world of comics after learning about starman during the invasion aftermath Lady Quark comes to Arizona. She seeks, she seeks to make Starman her consort and co-ruler of the Earth. After appearing on a local morning show in hopes of tracking Starman's attention, Lady Quark starts a hillside fire. This blaze accomplishes her goal when Starman shows up to investigate. After Lady Quark states her intentions, Starman declines her offer. He then rescues a man from a dangerous fall and stops an armed robbery. Lady Quark follows and presses the issue. Ultimately, Starman sends his refusal, I'm sorry, stands by his refusal, which Lady Quark interprets as a weakness. She flies off in search of a stronger mate. Now, as usual, we'll go to the cover, which I think I forgot to announce. The cover looks like it was done by Tom Lyle. The cover we see, you know, it's got the logo Starman, enter, Lady Quark. And we get a close up of Lady Quark holding Starman back, about ready to kiss him. Kind of like a. a, Reminds me a little bit of like those Harlequin romance novels my grandmother used to read, uh, but again, it's it, their places are you know switched with the woman holding back Starman, getting ready to kiss him. <laughs> and it's a decent cover. It's not fantastic, but like I say, it has that that little kick of being reminiscent of Harlequin romance comment or novels. Uh, we get a close up of Starman and Lady Quark. <laughs> It's a good cover all around. I, I enjoy this one. It gives me a laugh. Then we move on to the story. Uh, we get again some exposition about Starman, how Will Kent became Starman. He's been uh, ever since. There's been a series of changes, some good, some bad. And again, they're saying this up. Not really, it was backstory. You know, it's, it talks about hey, he has to learn. He has to learn how he come by his superpowers. But he's learning slowly to enjoy them. And every day seems to bring new challenges and new surprises. And I like this. So he's walking in a store called Greenberger's Books. Who, in case you don't know, Robert Greenberger's the editor, if you weren't listening to me. So I like the little title there. And we see a stand-up of Starman as Will walks in. Star- Will, Will's like, what? Sir, may I help you? And next to the Starman stand-up, there is a book or something called Invasion says, read the true story. There's one in the book on the counter called Calvin and Bob. There's people with uh, some about heroes, time. It's talking about the aliens. Again, this is all, again, as be in real life if there was an invasion by aliens. There's books and magazines, everything really talking all about it. And we have Will coming into the bookstore. He's looking for a copy of Adam's Farewell. That is Ray Palmer, the Adam. Uh, when he took off, after he found out his wife was cheating on him, they got divorced. He went off to live in the jungles, uh, found a little alien princess. That was six inches high. He fell in love with her. A long story. It was actually covered. I've covered that over my Head Speaks podcast uh, for five, six months there. I covered the. Actually, it was what? It was four, five, six, seven, for like seven months, and then some. It was a four issue miniseries. And then there was three specials covering the stories about Adam going to the jungle. And the Adam's Farewell was like the first or second special, I believe. Um, But he's looking at a copy of Adam's Farewell. And the gal says that it's sold out months ago. But it's going to be released soon with added material about the Adam's role in the alien invasion. And there's an editor's note here, which again, I've said before, I believe. I'll say it again. I love the editor's notes. And again, I've made this complaint before. I'm not sure if it was here or one of my other podcasts, but they kind of did away with editor's notes for a while, and now they're back. But instead of referring to actual issues, it's referring you to a trade paperback, which I I don't care for, Uh, but that's my own drudges, I guess. I mean, I I like, I don't know. I just, I I like when they refer to the actual issues because it's easy. If you want to track down the actual issue, if you don't buy a trade paperback, you just want the one issue, it makes it easier to find but, again, this refers to the uh, letters note that I got on a sidetrack here about. <laughs> it says, for more on the Adam's new book deal, see Power of the Adam number 10, now on sale, which is after the invasion. I'm not covering that right now, but I plan on, as I talked about earlier, I covered the Adam during his time off in the uh, Brazilian jungles, wherever it was, the rain, uh, Amazon Rainforest. Uh, I've taken a break from the Adam, and I'm going to be covering the Armageddon 2001 series. And that's going to take for the next year, year and a half. And after that, I plan on getting back and covering the Power of the Atom series. So eventually, issue number 10, it'll probably be two, two and a half years before I get to that issue. But eventually, I will cover <laughs> this book over on my Head Speaks podcast. So if you're interested in the Atom, uh, definitely pay attention to my Head Speaks podcast. But that's another podcast entirely. Let's go ahead and uh, go back here. So again, Will's like, yeah, Invasion, yeah, that's some display. How do they even get a book about that? And he talks about it's an instant book the publishers throw together. It's compiled from Daily Planet news articles. And apparently there's different regions, or different, uh, not books, but different stand ups for different regions of the country. And since they're, we're in the Southwest, that's where Starman's the big hero at. And the the you know, Adam. Uh, Will's thinking that how you know I, I guess he should be feel flattered that you know the publisher thinks Starman helps sell books, and he hopes he doesn't think it was people don't think that uh, Starman is. The, I gotta get that out of my head. He hopes that people don't think that Starman is endorsing the book. Meanwhile, we cut over to Los Angeles where we see a, a, a familiar looking lady standing in front of a book stand, and there's a Green Lantern stand up here. Because, again, this is, says in Los Angeles, and that's kind of where Green Lantern hangs his hat. And we got the banner here. This is Walden Books, 25% discount. New Invasion, get it here. And Walden Books, that, that used to be a bookstore uh, for you kids out there who's listening to this. You probably don't get a lot of bookstores anymore, but uh, Walden Books was a big bookstore, especially back in the 80s. So, <laughs> And so she goes up to the counter, and she hands the book, and the guy's like, okay, that'll be eight ma'am. She's like, I am not a ma'am. I am a lady. He's like, pardon mm-hmm. me? Yes, I suppose I must, because again, as we will find out, if you don't know already, this is Lady Quark, and she on her home planet, she was, I believe, she was married to the king. on on her own, in her own uh, alternate Earth, she was she was married to the king, and then they had a daughter, and both the king and the daughter died during the invasion or during the crisis. So Lady Quartz reading the book and we see a picture of Starman fighting some invaders. And again, as I talked about in the synopsis, she, this is where she finds out about Starman and how he helped out during the, the invasion. How he, you know, the author praises his actions highly as she reads. And then as she's walking along, she gets stopped by someone again. If you're not familiar with uh, the crisis and some of the aftermaths, we meet Pariah. The Prya, the Priya, Priya was getting with some relative on Earth. He was trying to witness the Big Bang, and again, I forget the exact details. But due to his intervention, him trying to view the Big Bang when the crisis happened, he was condemned. I guess you can say to travel to the different Earths as they're being destroyed. I'm not quite sure in the post-crisis universe. I guess maybe he was still traveling from world to world instead of reality to reality, watching him be destroyed. But again, a lot of people refer to him as Crying Praia, or Crying Priya, Yeah, Crying Praia. Because the main thing he did was in the crisis when he showed up, was cry and moan about how he's being forced to watch all these worlds die. And so, again, so Lady Quark and Priya are both survivors of the crisis, survivors of their own worlds being destroyed. So they've got, I don't want to say a kinship, I think Pariah's got a little more kinship with her than she feels about him, but I think a little talking going in here, and he keeps referring to her as Tashana, which is her real name, and yeah, he comments, you know, he's, she's complaining about how she was off fighting oppressors, and where was he off meditating, he's like, I'm a warrior, I'm a, I'm a scholar. He's like, you're worthless. I want nothing more to do with you. You cannot mean that. I saved your life. Do not remind me. Because, again, during the, I think it was the first issue of The Crisis. And, again, for more of The Crisis, I talked about it briefly over my Head Speaks podcast, but not very much. Just the Adams involvement with it. For a fuller in-depth of The Crisis, you can check out uh, Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner. They have a JSA podcast. They were covering The Crisis. They covered the first four issues, and they had to put it on hold. But for full, in-depth coverage of The Crisis, check out, I'm looking at the show right now, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. It's a great series podcast that talks about different comics. But back around episode, I want to say episode 50 or so of their show, they covered The Crisis. It took like five or six episodes, but they did a full, in-depth, Talking about the, the Crisis on infinite Earth. Uh, here we go, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, episode 53 is the first episode of it. Crisis on Infinite Earth. No, that's an episode that's part four. Part three. So yeah, it looks like part one was in episode 50 of the Cosmic Treadmill. I spent a long time talking about this one show that's not my show, so let's go and move on from there. But yeah, Chris and Reggie's cosmic treadmill, episode 53, I think it's 54. They give full in-depth coverage. They did a great job. But enough about them, enough about the crisis. let's move on from here. So again, Pariah is grabbing onto Lady Quark, saying, you know, you can't mean that, I saved your life. And he's like, But Tashana. And she throws him back, selling so out some star bolts or whatever, ripping her clothes. So it leaves her just her, her skin tight. Yellow costume with like orange sparkly dot things all over it. And she's saying, do not call me that. I am Lady Quark. And you are never to use my birth name again. It's just as well that you didn't fight. You disgust me. And she drops the book. She flies off saying that there's yet real men on this world. And so she goes off to find Starman. Uh, Meanwhile, here on page five, we get Starman. I'm sorry, Will Payton sitting down to lunch. And Carol from last episode the Hot Blonde meets up with him. And again, they have a little talk. And she says she's looking to start her own ad agency, and she wants a uh, someone who's good with copy. So she's basically wanting Will to work for her, and Will turns her down because again, he's a little again. He's got, he got this whole thing about not being human any longer. Again, if I was him, this hot blonde, you know. Again, she was hanging on last issue, this issue. She's offering him a job. Uh, again, if he wasn't so bummed out about his changes, again, she's hot. She's off from a job. What's wrong with that? <laughs> but as, as we get dealt with Will and his little love fest and job prospects and what have you, that he, he's blowing over here. We see Lady Quirk flying high over, uh, I believe it's Arizona, the Southwest, Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix, Arizona. And so, again, Lady Quark's not long, not long, it makes sense she's going to die, not long for this world. She hasn't been on the world long, so she's not quite familiar with Earth ads and what have you. So she's flying along. She's, she's a billboard that says, Everybody watches Phoenix Today. So she decides she's going to go on this show and talk to Starman since everyone watches, according to the billboard. And luckily, the uh, whoever the guest was going to be on there had to cancel, they missed their plane or something. And so Lady Quark comes in and says she wants to be on Phoenix today. And again, I like, you know, he's talking to her, gives a little backstory on her that, you know, uh, she's a veteran of the recent war against the invaders, a distinguished woman who once ruled the entire world, Lady Quirk. And he's like, What, do you, what, what brings you to our city? She's like, I came to find your seat to find a fellow veteran of the conflict, your star man. I appeal to him to contact me at this station. And then we cut back over to Will's house, where his sister Jane is watching the Three Stooges. She gets ready. The girl, besides being cute, has good taste. And Will's sitting there thinking how, uh, since he got the powers, he doesn't have a heartbeat, doesn't need to breathe. But his beard still grows. He talks about how the stubble doesn't seem to show when he changes his face to Starman's. And so he wonders, you know, he's thinking, he wonders what he would look like with a mustache, but he's not growing one quick enough. And as he's thinking about it, he starts growing a mustache out. And I like, and I like this, here on page nine, Will's in the bathroom playing, he realizes his face is kind of pliable, he hasn't really played with his power much of changing his face. So Janie come, Jane comes over and knocks on the door says she has a date with Rick. She says we'll be late. And as uh, she opens the door, Magnum P.I. opens the door up. And you're like, here you go, Jane. What's the about what's this about a date with Rick? Rick's supposed to help TCME shadow Robin, Robin Masters. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny that uh, he did an impersonation of Tom Selleck. Again, it was on a TV show back in the 80s called Magnum P.I. And that that reference where he talked about TJ and Rick trying to shadow Robin Masters' plots from that show. So again, very, very set in a certain place in time. I mean, with that reference to Magna PI and all that, it really references this. But again, having been a child of the eighties, a teenager of the eighties, watching these shows, I like the reference. If you're reading this now and you, you're you know, if you're born after that, you didn't watch Magna growing up, you may not get the reference and it may be kind of lost on you. I understand how some people may not like topical references like that because it dates a book, but I, again, growing up in that period, I love it. So I think it's great. Uh, and again, I'm going to pull a page from uh, my buddy The irredeemable Shag's book here, and here on page nine when she's getting startled, James looking kind of hot. But that's another story entirely. <laughs> Then their mom shows up, interrupts her their discussion. Uh, she talks with them briefly. She leaves. And uh, they're sitting there talking about S. Powers, how you know, he's still working on voices. And he's saying he's trying to fine-tune his powers. And he's talking about how he tried to change his skin color. And he tries to darken himself up. And he makes himself look more. To me, he looks almost Indian. Not uh, look looks Native American, not you know India from India, but Native American Indian. But Jenny starts laughing and says how he needs to work on his features and his hair if he wants to try to come across as black. And he talks about how he's you know he has to work on color, texture, length. And I talk, he's like, I, mean, I should talk to a black barber. <laughs> so, again, it's Will's trying to learn more about his powers. I like that. And, again, as far as art, like I said, the art in this book is fantastic. I love the artwork in this book. Again, my, only, my problem I say here is on page 9 where he's trying to turn himself into a black guy. Or page 10, sorry. Where he's trying to turn himself into a black guy. He looks more Indian to me than Native American. But and Then his mom calls him to the bathroom to clean up his hair clippings. And again, his wills walk away from his house. He's, he's kind of complaining to himself. that Well, she had a Turkey in the bathroom, I remember to clean up. Well, I probably would have. I must be the only superhero in the world who gets lectures from his mother. I'm getting too old for this kind of stuff. And He's always set about getting his own place, just because again, he's a grown man, he's a superhero. It's kind of hard on him to live with his mom and be a superhero. So then we cut over to the studio where Lady Quirk is upset that Will, or sorry, Starman hasn't answered her summons yet. And, you know, she, she's really upset because, again, she thought he'd be at right away. And, again, the, gal, the, the uh, gal in charge trying to stop her. She's like, oh, wait, please. No, I wasted too much time here. And she kind of scoffs at him. She's like, "Everybody watches Phoenix today. Bah! Another, obviously, another terrestrial exaggeration. I should have seen it as such." And she's flying around, trying to figure out how to get Starman's attention. We cut back over to Will. Will Peyton walking along the ground, and he's thinking about how you know he's not sure if he can afford rent, but if he joined up with Carol, uh, they could put up as an ad team. Money be no problem then. But Starman would be a problem. That's whole tr- trouble with living a double life. So again, so he wa- he wants to maybe hook up with, well, again, he's not so much saying hook up hook at this point, but he he wants to do the job, start the business with Carol, but leading the double life, he knows it's going to be hard. And as he's thinking, you know, you never know when something's going to, Also, the light, the sky brightens up by an explosion or fire, such as a big uh, bright light, and uh, Will's like, my God, somebody set off a nuke? Don't tell me the aliens are back, which is a very, uh, considering everything he's been through, the alien invasion, that's a very good line of thought for him to have, very practical. So as he flies off, he says that uh, somewhere in the direction of the Arizona State University, he flies over and he finds that Lady Quark has branded a big A in the hillside using her plasma blast. I'm not sure why she's did this big A. Her name is Lady Quark, Starman. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why she did an A, but yeah, she did a giant A to get his attention. And so he meets Lady Quark, asks who she is. She has a gr- brief background that I talked about earlier, how her husband, Lord Volt, her and her daughter, Princess Fern, were all family that possessed superpowers, they ruled, reigned supreme. And one day, a con I can't pronounce this word, C-O-N-T-R-A-T-E-R-R-E-N-E, con wave, engulfed the world. Her family, her world, everything was destroyed before her eyes. And she talked about how she survived, as I talked about earlier. She said she was spirited away by an alien observer who brought her to Earth, where she joined the other heroes in battling the anti-monitor. And we get a few pages from the crisis here. ...of uh, Lady Quark and her husband and daughter on their planet... ...the antimatter wave or whatever they're calling it nowadays... ...and then we see Lady Quark, Batman... ...Power Girl, I think... ...Superman... ...going up against the anti-monitor bunch of his shadow demons... ...and we'll apologize saying say now oh, it's before his time... ...and she's basically going about how, you know... ...she's been alone ever since... ...her previous companion had been unsatisfactory... ...and before she can go any further... We'll hear someone call for help. So he flies over and he sees this guy. Apparently he was trying to f- take pictures of Starman. He fell off the balcony. And so this... can't tell what's that, Maybe it's another guy. Someone's holding on to him, keeping him from falling. Starman flies over and, and captures the guy and saves him. And he flies back over to Lady Quark. And she's like, why'd you, why'd you rescue him? You, you need to let these idiots kill themselves off and basically help out the gene pool. And Will uh, Peyton, Starman being a true superhero, you know, basically says, "Well, I've got the power. I, I need to do something. I can't just stand by and let someone get hurt when I could stop them." Because again, Starman's a everyman. He's he's got a hero mentality that he needs to help people. Whereas Lady Quark has that monarchy mentality that you know what, if they're too stupid, psh, heck with them, let them die. So, yeah, that's one thing I like about Starman. I like how he, he summarizes his feelings here, talking to Lady Quark, And Lady Quark throws herself into his arms, basically, and talks about how uh, our world is, you know, fragmented and basically it's crap and how it, to survive it needs to be united. The entire world needs to be united under an absolute monarchy. And she's like, Starman, I can save this world from itself, but I cannot do it alone. Join me. Rule with me. You and I confound a new destiny, or dynasty on earth. And he's like, you, me, I'm very flattered, your majesty. But you have the wrong man. Boy, do you have the wrong man. I'm a small D-Democrat, and what you want is anything got anything I give. How you best you just leave? We just met. It's nice seeing you, but you know, maybe you should join the Just League or something. And he flies off, and she flies after him. Come Come back. And again, so he's trying to lose her downtown. And as he's flying through, he sees a gunman robbing a, uh, a convenience store, it looks like. Yeah, Circle K. Uh, oh, that's a flashback. I used to have a Circle K by my hometown. i at this time, but it's closed down since then, years ago. Anyway, so the guy shot the cashier. He's flying away, or driving away. And Starman flies up behind him. He's like, pull over now. And the guy tries shooting Starman. Again, bullets aren't going to hurt him. So Starman uses his, his heat and pops the guy's tire. And the guy's like, what the are you? He's like, oh man, he just stopped you. And Lady Cork flies over and says that, you know, she, he, she's holding a lady that was injured by the gunman. And as Lady Cork lands, the, the gal that was shot, the cashier says that that's the same guy that robbed him last month. And the crowd's like, yeah, give him dust, Starman, we'll take care of him. And Starman's like, back off. No one touches this man. And he hands the guy over to the police. They're breaking up the crowd because, again, it's the Old West. And again, as Starman's flying the cashier to the hospital to get tended to, Lady Cork's basically berating him, telling him, you know, if she handed out justice to the criminal, he wouldn't have to worry about any mob. If he, you know, basically telling him if he would have took the criminal out, he needs what he does. And Star like, Starman, he's like, Give me a break, lady. I stopped the man and turned him over to the police. What would you have done? Cut off his hand? Kill him? Seems to me that taking too much of the law in your own hands is a good way to incite a mob to do more of the same. And the cashier, the one that got shot, and has been robbed by the guy before, she, you know, she's basically agreeing with Starman saying, you yeah, know, that's right. I want to judge so the book at the creep. I want to see a mob rip him apart. And again, this is a young black lady, and she's commenting how her daddy saw too much of that kind of justice when he was a boy, and again, this was in the '80s. She looks like she's probably in her 20s, so you figure her dad was around in the '50s and '60s when he's talking about this kind of justice. And again, that's where they're in the Midwest here, so I'm assuming the dad came from the same area, Midwest back in the '40s, '50s, '60s. If you're a black guy, you weren't looked to upon too kindly. So I can see where she's coming from, and so that's kind of where why well, you know she's agreeing with Will or Starman at this point. And Lady Quark, so, you know, she's like, this nation definitely needs a firm, ruling hand. And again, Lady Quark's still going off how oh, this is, you know, this world needs a uh, firm, ruling hand. And Starman's like, you know, let's get a few things straight. We're faster, more powerful than their own people. That makes us any better. And she's like, speak for yourself in my world. And was like, this isn't your world. Which kind of upsets her, because again, her world's gone. And turns all cold. She's like, well, thank you for reminding me. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rub salt in an old wound. It's just that I know from experience how easily an average Joe can screw up other people's lives. Those of us who aren't average have to be more careful. And again, she's thinking to herself how, you know, he's got the the wisdom of an older man, and she's trying to debate whether it's actually wisdom, because he's so young. Is it wisdom or is it cowardice? And again, she's like, he's so young. His touch makes me feel so... And then she's like no there must be no weaknesses and she realizes that seeing how uh, Starman is willing to help out people she considers him weak because again she's from a very strong ruling hand we've heard and uh, she, she flies away she's thinking I would have made him my prince consort we had a golden age of the likes of which his plan has never seen but no I must not think of that I must look elsewhere and she flies away Will's thinking what a sad lonely lady but she still sounds determined. I wonder where like, she'll go to. Hope she doesn't go too far. I hate to meet her again as an enemy. Dun, dun, dun. So it's been years since i read this book. I wonder if she shows back up or not. I'm assuming she probably does, but we'll have to wait and see. Then we get next issue, Blockbuster. And from that there alone, I remember that there, uh, I believe this is the Batman two issues where Starman has to face off against Blockbuster, Batman shows up, but we'll find out about that next month. As I've said, I love Roger Stern's writing. I love Tom Lyle's artwork. Again, as I've talked about before, a lot of people don't care for what they call the peanut butter and jelly costume. I don't think it's peanut butter and jelly. It looks, of course I'm half colorblind, but it looks more yellow than peanut butter colory. But again, I love this, this the big star, inversed, upside down. The yellow and the, the purple costume. It's just very superhero-y. I love the costume. I love Tom Lyle's artwork on this. Bob Smith does an excellent job of inking it. And again, it it's hard for me to tell. Unless one's really good or really bad. If they work together, I don't know who's who. How much is this Tom Lyle? How much is Bob Smith? But together, they're doing an excellent job on this. And again, Michelle Wolfman. Michelle. I keep calling to Michelle. Michael, I believe it is. Wolfman, whoever that is. The colorist again does a great job on this. I just love like I said the references to the other books. I love the hot chicks in it. I love <laughs> I love the fact that you know that we're nine issues in. I like guess nine issues, I just said, and Will is still eight issues in. Eight issues in and Will is still learning about his power, still experimenting. Again, it's just a great book. I definitely, if you guys haven't read this, if you're just following along for the giggles and grins, I definitely recommend you check out the Starman book. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a whole podcast on it, so definitely check it out. But again, that's enough for Starman for this month. At this point, normally I would go to the com- comics, comics Spinner Rack, but I went through this last month. Again, this is all the same month recheck those out, listen to last month's episode. Again, it's available at www.dcindexes.com. That's Mike's Amazing World of Comics. That's where I get all the, a lot of the synopses, the writers and titles and all that comes from Mike's site. It's a great site. I uh, definitely recommend checking it out. But you know what? This is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. And we're just under an hour. See how for a couple months there we kept you at three hours. We're going to call, call it quits. By the time I get the ending credits in here, it'll be close, pretty close to an hour. So that's it for this month. Again, hopefully I'll be back on a regular schedule. A knock on wood. If all goes well, I'll be back next month. We'll be covering the February 1989 books, Starman number 9, and Manhunter number 12. And that's actually the halfway point for the Manhunter book. Uh, but we'll go more of that next month. And until then, Star Hunters... Keep looking to the stars. Bye. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Please join us next month for another great, fantastic episode as we cover another issue of the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series. Uh, keep in mind that these podcasts are not affiliated or endorsed by DC Comics. I'm just a fanboy who loves these comics and wants to spread these love with everyone else out there and just talk about them. Um, again, you can email us at smah headspeaks.com you can go to our blog, which is at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash hour No spaces, all one word. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode, this is Aaron Moss saying, see you in the funny pages.